my name is Matt McGill. I'm typically playing music and talking. Uh, and today I feel a little exposed without the guitar in front of me. So I brought it up. I'm going to use it in a second. But I just want to welcome you to the first day of summer. Now, uh, maybe you don't currently have a sunburn. Uh, but let's be honest, you stick around in that sun too long and you're going to get hot. I remember when my youngest Blythe, we were in Mexico and she got a bad sunburn. And we had a fellow there that popped open some aloe or some, what is it called? Yeah, aloe. Popped it open and started to apply it. And there was a balm to her, a salve, a little bit of relief on her hot skin as that aloe set in. And I want to say to you guys that things are getting hot. Okay, anybody feeling the heat? Uh, I feel the heat, and I'm not just, we're not just talking about uh, the heat uh, uh, of the sun. We're talking about the heat of an old kingdom that's vying for your heart and attention and wants you to be burned and wants you to be hurting and wants you to be hopeless, and that's a happy way to start out uh, this message this morning. So I hope that this message is a little bit of cool relief to your very soul. I'm going to say to you today that we're going to be looking at a scripture where Jesus is going to encounter two different men that responded very differently to his call to follow. And when Jesus meets these men, as Jesus meets us, I want to submit to you that every day is a little like bowling. Now, this has been, it's, I'm, I go through phases and it's my new thing as I'm really into bowling uh, I may ask you to bowl soon, uh, but I'm really discovering the sport. It's a lifetime sport. Uh, it's a sport of leisure. I get to hang with my uh, loosiest, goosiest buddies, uh, and we like to go bowl. And I would just want to say that every day you wake up, man, those pins are there, and there's something about your form, and you're going to roll well or you're not going to roll well. Okay, and sometimes after you roll a gutter ball, it's like you just turn around, you just have to keep your head hung low because you just can't look at anybody. Or if you hit a strike, my propensity is just to go, did you see that? All of a sudden, I'm the greatest bowler in the world because I hit one strike. But anyway, that's what I want to say to you is that every day is actually what Josh White calls an intersection with grace, an intersection, intersections of grace. Think of it like this, the cross. Here's the timeline of you living your life one day to the next. And then, whew, Jesus comes down into your timeline. No matter where you are, there's the cross. And that is an intersection of grace. Jesus is seeking to meet with you and seeking to deliver you from bondage to self, bondage to an old kingdom. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about two kingdoms, okay? And I'm going to start out because I've, I've heard it said that nobody really listens to the first five minutes. You won't remember anything I said this first five minutes. It's when we really get cooking later on that it's really going to take hold. So the first five minutes, I want to start out with a couple of different things. First off, I don't know if you know that Bob Dylan, at his old age, released a, a new album. And, and then he's done, he's done a plethora of interviews, which he's not typically given to doing. But it's my contention uh, that you can learn a lot more from listening to Bob Dylan than from watching the news. You can learn a lot more about your soul, about your heart, about your space and place from listening to the lyrics of Bob Dylan than from watching the news. Okay, I just want to say that to you. And in an interview lately, you know, Little Richard just died. Woo! Little Richard. I love Little Richard. Can I tell you, he is awesome. I mean, really, truly, the founder of rock and roll was Little Richard. And he came out of the church, and he went back into the church, and he died in Christ and is in eternity, and I can't wait to get down with Little Richard. It's going to be a party when I get there, let me say. But for now, let me say that uh, Bob was asked, why was the music, I think it was like by Rolling Stone, why was, the mu why was the gospel music of Little Richard so 
disregarded. People didn't really listen. They wanted tutti frutti. They didn't want, uh, you know, whatever hallelujah stomp and chorus that he was singing. They really wanted the, the rock and roll. They didn't really listen. And so Bob has some interesting things. I asked Ryan to put it up even so you could read it. Here's Bob Dylan's answer. Probably because gospel music is the music of good news. And these days, there just isn't any. Good news is, in today's world is like a fugitive treated like a hoodlum and put on the run, castigated. All we see is good-for-nothing news, and we have to thank the media industry for that. It stirs people up. Gossip and dirty laundry, dark news that depresses and horrifies you. On the other hand, gospel news is exemplary. It can give you courage. You can pace your life accordingly, or try to anyway, and you can do it with honor and principles. There are theories of truth in gospel, but to most people, it's unimportant. Their lives are lived out too fast. Too many bad influences. Sex and politics and murder is the way to go if you want to get people's attention. It excites us, and that's our problem. Now, isn't that interesting? There's Bob Dylan detailing two different kingdoms, an old kingdom and a new kingdom. We, as the Bible, re as Bible readers, we believe that there are two kingdoms. I want to tell you a little bit about the old kingdom. This is my definition. The chaos, division, confusion, and oppression that is the logical extension of the absence of grace in this world. That's the old kingdom. Now here's the new. The order, clarity, and deliverance that is the logical extension of God entering into the old kingdom in weakness to provide us his strength this side of eternity. Now, gonna, just before we get to our scripture reading, I want to tell you about an old, since we're talking about the great music legends, I'm going to tell you a little bit, I'm going to sing us an old Hank Williams song, actually written by a guy by the name of Fred Rose, who wrote all sorts of Bob Wills songs, but I've liked this song for a long time. And uh, this, these lyrics even are, are it's, 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 a, it's a lover talking to what is now, it's no longer his love. Someone who's broken his heart. Someone who has let him down. Someone who is far from him. It goes like this. Remember, two kingdoms. We live in two different worlds, dear. That's why we're so far apart You made your world out of broken vows I built a world in my heart Everyone tried to warn me you were just playing a game I told them all were meant for each other I thought our worlds were the same If you stay over in your world Oh, how my poor heart will pine Darling, someday when memories wander 
Won't you come over in mine? We live in two different worlds, dear. And that's why we're so far apart. You made your world out of vows that are broken. I built a world in my heart. This is Matthew eight eighteen through twenty two. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I thought that was a zesty scripture for Father's Day. Let your dead father bury himself. Uh, But I want to say that there's more going on here than that. First off, I think you should notice that Jesus, he loves the crowds. He feels for the crowds. One place in scripture says his heart went out to the crowds. But Jesus doesn't minister to crowds. He ministers to individuals who make up crowds. Okay, so sometimes when the, when the masses and the mobs are too much, Jesus says, let us step over here and let me talk with people, with actual people. Let me look in somebody's eyes. Let me have an intersection of grace. Okay, so let's just, let's just notice here right off the bat that there are two juxtaposing realities, two different people encountering intersections of grace and responding in different ways. Okay, so let me just say right away, we've been in Matthew now in the men's group for two years. There's a commentary by Frederick Dale Bruner. It's two books. They're both this thick, and we just can't get out of Matthew. We'll probably be, if you want to join the men's group, we're like somewhere in 20, we'll be there for another year. But it has been so rich, such a blessing to my heart and soul. And I want to say to you that what Matthew the evangelist does, Matthew the evangelist, that is him who is writing this gospel, what he does is he, 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 he helps us to understand particular people's predisposition to Jesus by detailing what we call Jesus. So notice, what is the first guy called Jesus? He comes up, and, and a scribe, he came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that tells us something right away. Because is Jesus a teacher? Yes, but he's so much more than that. Okay, so this is one, and I'm going to say my first point today is this. One who calls Jesus teacher remains cut off from the life of God in Christ, which sounds pretty heavy. Because you, I grew up thinking, that's the standard. I'll just be like Jesus. I will learn from Jesus how to be, and that'll be enough. But I remained cut off from the life of God in Christ because I brought my strength to the table. The student tells Jesus Tell me what I can do. There's all sorts of exuberance, but there's also a pretty high anthropology, just, which just means I think a lot of my ability to be like Jesus. The student believes that knowledge and hard work is living in Christ, that he can know enough in, in Scripture, that he can get up enough and study, that he can do enough godly works, he can work hard enough, and someday, someday the student might become the master. 
And what this scribe brings to Jesus is all of his studying and all of his big, big brain and all of his hard, hard work. And he says, I will follow you anywhere. And you have to remember, scribes, they, they wrote all of the royal and priestly manuscripts. They knew the word. They'd have been a part of the Sanhedrin. They, 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 were, they were mixed in there with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so when he says to Jesus, essentially, you're going to want me on your team. That's what he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, please. Foxes have holes, birds have the air, but the son of man is going to suffer. You have no idea how your strength has mixed you and entangled you into this reciprocity with God. I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back, God. This scribe, this scribe is cut off from the life of God in Jesus Christ, and it's very sad. That's one kind of person. The the type that thinks himself valuable to Jesus' mission. Jesus seems to say, do you have any idea what you'll be giving up? And he knows that he doesn't. Life in Christ is not a decision for Christ. Life in Christ comes by a cross. Now, I've heard people say, I actually heard my mother-in-law say, and you'll hear this from time to time, well, until they humble themselves. Until that person humbles themselves, there's then X, Y, and Z. Well, then nothing's going to happen. And it's like, who in the world ever humbled himself? That just doesn't happen. You don't humble yourself. You don't decide, today I'm going to be humble. Oftentimes, oftentimes, the realities of this world will just humble you. They will just leave you flat, leave you out of gas and exhausted. And the only thing you can do, now being humbled, is receive Jesus. You know that life will humble. Real commitments to real people elicit humility. Why? Because you just don't meet people's demands and you don't, you don't, and and fathers, mothers, you guys know this. You thought you were going to be a great father until you had kids. You thought you were going to be a great mother until you have kids. And then you realize all I need is the grace of God so that I don't destroy my children's lives before they get out of my house. Okay. That's just the truth. Okay. So now we're going to go on to the second guy. What does the second guy say? The second guy says, and uh, the second guy says, look, it begins with another, this is very important, another of the disciples. So this guy that's going to talk is actually a disciple, this second guy. The second guy that's going to talk is a disciple. What does he call? The the, the scribe calls Jesus teacher. What does the second guy call Jesus? Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, let let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, well, we'll get to, we'll get to what Jesus said to him first. Let's talk, uh, secondly, let's talk about what it means when he says, let me first go bury my father. Is his father dead? Probably not. Because that would have been like, Jesus, I'll be back here tomorrow afternoon. We just got to get this guy in the grave. That's not, that's not what is actually happening. What he's basically thinking, you know, might, might think of like, maybe his dad had a business. And maybe he had 20, 20 more years, and maybe he's going to wait on his dad to die. I'll go back there and let him, we'll, we'll settle the affairs. The tyranny of the urgent, right? All, and this is where we all fall. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you live in Christ, then it's like this. Let me find my, let me find my that's right. There it is. The child, you're a child. A child says, I will follow you, but only after my affairs are in order. There's reticence somehow. There's somehow, there's some way that we're saying, Jesus, you're so important. But first, can I, can I just go take care of this thing that seems urgent, that I need to get squared away so that then I can be the kind of you know, follower that you 
want me to be. And see, both of these men are what we call theologians, what Martin Luther called theologians of glory. They're looking for strength. They're looking for certainty. They're looking for glory in their lives. I can do it. I need to tend to this urgent thing, though, first. Faith, faith will wait. And I want to say, secondly, life in Christ is not at your convenience. It comes by a cross. Now, I've said this before, but love is the victory of imagination over reason. The child sees his life as belonging to and ordered by the father. Stephanie sings all the time, in the cross, I read both my life and my death. Not only do I know the way that I should go in Christ, but I also know that that part of me that I really need to let go of. And I need to reckon that, that it is dead on the cross. And that flesh that, that spreads violence. Remember, these, in, these, in any intersection of grace, we have receptivity to God's grace or we have resistance to God's grace. And last time I preached, I detailed, we've got to learn about that man within us who says, stay out, God. Because every one of us, every one of us has that person within him. It's called, what, iniquity? It's called flesh? It's called sin living in me uh, by, by St. Paul? The thing is, is the child says to God, I will follow you. But, squirrel. And that's our life. Every day we wake up ready to bowl for Christ and squirrel. I mean, doesn't it, it's just, sometimes you're just waiting. When's the, you know, we, right now we have a uh, hot water heater that's on the fritz, you know, and, and it's like really urgent. And I'm wondering if there can be the spirit of Christ in my home until we get a new hot water heater, because it's hard to praise God in a cold shower. Uh, but I just want to say, I want, I just want to say that, that, that when we talk about squirrels in this world, this side of eternity, we're talking about those Things that are vying for your heart. They're vying for your head. They're vying for your hands. They're everywhere. It's like when I take my girls to the, uh, sorry, you guys are getting really, uh, I'm, I'm t- talking a lot about you today, but I remember when, when I would take them to wash the car, you know, you get the vacuum out, you know, and, 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 and just, just because I'm ornery, I'll just stick it on their thigh or their arm or something. Ah, daddy, don't do that. And I wonder if down deep inside, maybe there's this sort of really, really deep fear that I might suck their entire body into that hose. I mean, maybe that's something that why they're going, don't do that. And I want to say to you uh, today, I want to say to you today that there are squirrels everywhere. There are squirrels everywhere. You know how Jesus, what, what is, what is uh, I almost called Eric Barton Jesus. You know what Eric Barton always says? He, he, he quotes uh, the three amigos when he says, look up here, look up here. Like, keep your mind stayed on thee, you'll find perfect peace, Right. What are these squirrels saying in our world? These squirrels are saying, look down here, look down here, look down here. You can't have the peace of Christ. You can't have hope. You can't have joy until X, Y, and Z is done. A story has captured the minds of people in America and across our whole nation. And rage has taken the day. And rage will continue until it can't. And I think Christians... Ought to, should, could, why don't we pray for those who are angry about the state of this world? Because a mountaintop emotion like anger is not sustainable. And when the rage wears off, there'll be despondency. And there'll be sadness and despair that their rage didn't actually affect the change that they thought would bring them peace and hope. Because it can't. It's just another squirrel. 
and what will come in November. In November, we're going to have a hot, hot summer, guys. In November, we're going to have an election. I'm not going to get too political, but let me just say I am certain of this much, that in November, there is going to be half of our nation that is so crushed. And there'll be half of our nation that sadly will have a false hope because their guy will win. And that hope won't, dis- won't, won't ultimately satisfy either because there's two different worldviews coming out. Coming, it's the problem with this tit-for-tat old kingdom that we live in where more for you is less for me. It's zero-sum game. There's just not enough to go around. We've got to fight each other. We've got to fight each other. And the Diablo, the devil, the doubler, what does he do? He splits things in two. He does it with marriages. He does it with churches. He does it with people. He does it with cities. He does it with nations. He does it with parties. All he's looking for is division. And I want to say to you, in Christ, we are one. And we cannot be divided. There's competing visions for America. One is right and one is wrong. Right and wrong? The the line between good and evil, we know, runs between every human heart. Both sides of the political spectrum have something beautiful and rich to offer us. But as long as we are living in two different worlds, suspicious of one another, division will, will continue. Flawed philosophies. This world, according to Bruner, this world is death. Discipleship is life. This world is death. Discipleship is life. The child of God who says, I will follow you, but, and Jesus says, that's a squirrel. Let the dead bury the dead. They're working over in an area that has no life. Okay, it doesn't mean don't love your father and mother. It doesn't mean don't attend funerals. Okay, it means the cares of this world are always seeking to scorch your seed before it has taken root in the Lord. And continually thereafter, and let me say this to you, that sin, we know from James 1.15, says sin, when fully grown, leads to death. Sin, I submit to you, leads to the dehumanization of the other. When my, when my desires become more important than you, well, then you no longer are a person. You are an obstacle to what I want. And that kind of dehumanization is just what our enemy wants. And just what our Christ died to birth in us, a reality that the other, the individual, matters. Matters so much to God. And we know that this has been going on all the way since Genesis 3 when Cain and Abel, one's one's offering was accepted and one's offering was rejected. Just like what will happen in November. And it's just gone back and forth. The rage that my ego can't handle being rejected by God. When things don't go my way, it's your problem. I've got to be a victim. I've got to point fingers at somebody else. There's no life. I'm now cut off from the life of God in Christ when he has given me everything. As Chris just said, let me say this to you. If you want to return to the past, the past might be precious to you, but it is filled with sin. You cannot go backwards without suffering fragmentation. What happened to Lot's wife? She didn't even get a name. She didn't even get a name in the Bible, but she she turned back and she became defragmented. Because she wanted what was in the past. You cannot go back to the past without suffering defragmentation. And what happens when you want so badly to go back to some past, you're going to be finding, you're going to encourage, you're going to encounter obstacles to that everywhere. And you will find then that you are dehumanizing those people. Those people now become us and them. And you're right in the enemy's hands doing exactly his bidding. 
Lot's wife doesn't even get a name. She becomes so dehumanized by looking back that she turns to salt. She disintegrated. Hold on to the past and dehumanize the, those who threaten your cause for a return to the past. And when you dehumanize other, others, that will be the evidence that you yourself have become dehumanized by ideological captivity. Okay, now let's talk about the future. Oh, it's so bright we got to wear shades, right? The future may hold possibility of, of improvement, but there will still be sin. And you can't go forward without suffering dissatisfaction. David did not get to build the temple. Moses did not get to enter the promised land. The reality is that sometimes we have to live as Christians in the tension between a world that we'd like to see exist and the world that actually exists. And it doesn't mean we just go, eh, what me worry, the world sucks. We grieve, we pray, we vote, we do all of these things. But like Mockingbird always leads me to believe, it says to care and not to care. If you start to care too much, you'll dehumanize those that don't care enough. Who of you has been gotten onto for not wearing a mask? Why aren't you wearing a mask? And I wanna say in Christ, there's no mask or mask. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying, do what you want. Anyway, that's the whole aside. What I want to say is, if you cast your peace, if you cast your peace into an uncertain future and make it dependent on your ends being met, on a bill being passed or a law being changed or a statue coming down. Can we just talk about statues for a second? I mean, I know we're, we're I mean, maybe we shouldn't, but did the, the Lord really want statues up? Clearly they're toppling. I mean, why are we making a statue to men? Why? Why? So some men can hate it and others can't. I mean, look, they come down, they don't come down. I'm a Christian, I don't care. I'm just telling you, I don't care. Cast your peace into an uncertain future and you'll make it dependent on something happening. And then it's no longer with you. It's out ahead of you or it's behind you and you're just off balance because you don't have the peace presently. You will dehumanize presently those that stand in the way of the future you want to see come to fruition. The present, the present, now. Remember we talked about the timeline and the cross? Now, now is the place to experience the peace of Christ. He has not held anything back from you. So what is ideological captivity? Ah, it's hot. It's being, and this is my, I'm doing the best I can. I pray that you only hear what I want to say to you, or not what I want to say to you. See, my heart even so dark. Uh, I want you to know that what I have studied and what I seem to be being led to is this, that ideological captivity is being pulled from victory in life in Christ and being pulled into defeat off of the sturdy ground of Christ's victory, Christ's presence, Christ's Emmanuel, God with us, and allowing yourself to believe or be, to be persuaded that you don't have God until X, Y, or Z occurs. Now you're in the land of, okay, big group, here's my head, tell me how to think. Here's my heart, tell me how to feel. Here's my hands, tell me what to do. And you have become the mob. And Jesus is going over to the other side to talk to the individuals. Because there is an individual reality to Christ's saving work that births us into a family. 
and you cannot get, you can't try to get the family and try to get everything together and, and, and wait and, and, and hold off Christ, hold off the spiritual, hold off faith, fight your culture wars. But you will not have the peace of Christ, even though it's extended to you. Now let's get really current. Satan, the doubler, the Diablo, he prefers groups to free-thinking, hope-filled individuals. And what a divider he is. What sort of evil genius, what sort of evil genius would deliver us the picture, the picture of eight minutes and 46 seconds of a knee on the neck of a man. And not just a man, not even a resisting man, though he might have resisted before, I don't know. He was handcuffed and helpless. And the knee is on the neck until the life of the man goes out. He doesn't have breath. He probably has a cardiac arrest. And what's he doing but calling out for his mother And what I would submit to you that what our great, not our great, the great divider wants us to believe is that life does not matter. It can be snuffed out and that things will never change. He wants you clinging to hopelessness so that you will not have the peace of Christ and that you will continue division everywhere you go. This is the hopelessness that he wants this world to cling to. That life isn't precious And that we've dehumanized one another to such a degree. That's just the way the world is and it's never going to change and it hurts too much. It hurts too much to think about. And it's not just just hurting here. It's not just hurting in in Detroit or in Chicago. It's it's hurting in London. Everywhere in the world is saying, may it not be that life doesn't matter. That life can be snuffed out in that way. And some of us need this death Some of us need this death to be the death that changes everything. And I want to say to you that I think there's something beautiful about that. Even though there's a lot of rage and there's a lot of anger, I want to say that there's something archetypally, some some kind of story that has captivated our minds since the first time you heard about it in Sunday school. The very idea that there's not a higher thought, there's not a richer Focus. There's not a deeper and longer hope than the idea that one man's death could change eternity. It's the gospel. It reaches too, too far back into our collective unconscious as we watch the man's death, watch the man's life go out from him. We say to ourselves, what's the answer to this hopelessness? And then we find Jesus. On a cross, we find a man, the first fully human, because he did not consider himself a God. He did not consider himself, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't think he was God. He was the first human to have the right perspective. He said again and again, I am the Son of God. He is my Father. And I speak on his behalf. He perfectly believed that he was the son of God sent to do his father's perfect will, live a life without blemish and give up that life. And as he suffocated under the instrument of death, dying under the collective knee 
of our systemic and perpetual sin right in front of his mother. But he kept calling out for his heavenly father who seemed to have forsaken him. But he kept looking up and calling out until his breath went, went away from him and he died. And this is the story. This is the story that delivers us into the right kind of captivity. Bondage to Christ, slave bond servants to Christ. This is the story that rips the curtain between God and man. That delivers me hope when the world shows me there is none. That allows me to grieve the death of friends without despairing endlessly. That allows me to move forward into an uncertain future that's strange and scary. It's going to be a hot summer. That causes me to forgive someone for acting racist or not acting woke enough. Now back to bowling. Or at least the big Lebowski. What did I, I had an image up, didn't I, guys? Uh, something about, oh yeah, Jesus really ties, he ties the room together. The thing that ties this room together is not our love for golf. I don't even have any. But I'm just saying, it's not our love for right wing, left wing. It's not our love for Tyler. It's not, nothing can tie us together but the love of Jesus. Because it's common to us all. It's extended to us all. And if we're being honest, we know we need it. And if we're being, if we're being good students, ah, shouldn't, I, we know we have it. If we're being good children, we know we're loved. The thing that ties any room together is where Christ is exalted. It's Jesus. No other agendas, no other rules, no other obligations, just Jesus. His grace is sufficient for us all. He has woven us together like a tapestry or a rug. But these squirrels are always pulling on that rug. And that's why we have to let the grand weaver, Ravi Zacharias, rest in peace, that he wrote the book, The Grand Weaver, that God is weaving us together in a fabric that cannot ultimately be split apart because it's, it's woven by him, in him, and through him. Let the grand weaver weave you once again into the everlasting beauty of Jesus, who's a ransom for us all. One way love come all the way down to us. Be woven in. Let Jesus tie the room together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for giving us eyes to see that you are good, for giving us a heart that knows what love is, for giving us a hope that is certain in uncertain times. We thank you for the anchoring that we have in you alone. And Father, I just, I just ask that you would continue to make yourself known to us in these intersections of grace. When we meet you, help us to relish your presence so much that we identify, we're able to quickly identify the squirrels in our life vying for our attention. Help us to keep our mind, our heart, our eyes stayed on you, Lord that you would provide us the perfect peace that is your promise. We thank you for loving us and teaching us to love. In Christ's name.